Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour, hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt here. That music means the last radio hour of the week and my first from Studio Winter Tour. My first Hillsdale Dialogue is underway, and it's part two of a series that Dr. Larry Arn taught a group of Hillsdale students uh, two years ago. And they used a four-camera shoot, and it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. I had people tell me on the, on the Move North this week that they listened to last week's show, and they just loved it. They loved the way that Dr. Arn teaches that's why we're playing this, not only for the content about Aristotle's ethics, but so that people can actually listen to and hear great teaching and how it ought to be in every college classroom across the United States. It's always that way at Hillsdale. All things Hillsdale, including the application to go there, are, are found at hillsdale.edu. But we bring you part two of Dr. Larry Arn at Hillsdale College teaching his 12 students Aristotle's ethics. In the second chapter of book one of the ethics, he brings up that politics is the highest form of community. And then he explains that in various places in the ethics, but especially in a book that he wrote called The Politics. The ethics ends with a reference to politics. This uh, moral concern, this concern with the good that we have, is born, according to Aristotle, in our capacity to talk, which involves seeing the good in things what a thing is. Talking is the same thing as thinking. The Greek word for thinking and talking is the same word. Uh, it's the word logos, by the way, which in uh, the Gospel of John, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. That word is logos. It's a big, important word, right, in, in, in theology and in philosophy. Because your thinking is unique among creatures, among the other creatures are not rational, but you can do it out loud. If you have friends or if you have spouses, then one of the things you'll think is you can just tell them everything you think. They can know you. So what arises from this gift of reason? First of all, moral concern, interest in the good. Second of all, a radical kind of sociability. And if you put together morality, and sociability, you get politics. Now we're going to have the ritual that we perform at Hillsdale College in class. What did we do last time? And then everyone looks at his notes. Ryan. <laughs> so last time, we started off by talking about what is ethics. And we decided that it's the study of how best to live. And that involves character, which takes time to etch. It takes time to develop. And okay, stop a minute. Didn't we isolate that ethics is not the study of anything? It's a way to live, and the study is to find out what that is. What are you studying when you're studying ethics? What is the answer to that? Character, you said. What did that mean? Etch or engrave. Etch or engrave. That's right. Something that gets in you, right? Do this to yourself real hard right now, you know. Right? That. Push, 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 push. You know, it starts to hurt. That. And then you'll remember that longer than if you'd just done that. And uh, 
So this character building thing, hard work, and requires a lot of repetition because it's also a little bit like this too. If you like tried to build your character with a chisel, you'd kill yourself. <laughs> you have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it immaterially, right? And you have to do it a lot and over and over again. And we said what the purpose of ethics is, didn't we? Um, well, it's to form the character um, in accordance with the good. And the purpose of that? Um, well, the good is is beautiful, so it's good for its own sake. So everything, it's in order to bring the human person um, into order with, to direct his action um, with the good or towards it. To be happy. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, all of that that you just said is summarized in the expression happiness. But we're going to get there. Now, you'll find out, by the way, anybody who undertakes a serious college education will find out that uh, much of the time and much of the benefit is contained in learning what words mean. And we threw around a bunch of big words last time. Art, inquiry, choice, the biggest of that series. Good. Beautiful. So now we need to find out what those words mean. Also, human. Human person. And we're going to define what that is right now. Okay. So we're going to turn to a different book by Aristotle. It's called Politics. Gil, tell us what politics are. Politics is, I don't want to say study. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't, though. though. Yeah, politics is uh, a communion of persons and uh, with a common end um, in a state. We're talking about what is good and advantageous and just. Okay, that had all the elements, but it was a little sloppy. (laughs) (laughs) So put that in order for us. Stephen, can you do that? I would just say it's the things that have to do with the political community. When we talk about those things, we're talking about politics. And what is the political community? What is community? And what makes it political? Well, a community is a partnership. And Aristotle tells us that, like human beings, the community aims at the good. And the political community is the highest kind of community. Somebody read the first... uh sentence of chapter one, book one of Aristotle's Politics, another very great book. Since we see that every city is some sort of community, and that every community is constituted for the sake of some good, for everyone does everything for the sake of what is held to be good, it is clear that all communities aim at some good, and that the community that is most authoritative of all, and embraces all the others, does so particularly, and aims at the most authoritative good of all. This is what is called the city or the political community. So, remember we talked about the arts and how they're arranged in a hierarchy. Bridal making, bridal, horsemanship, victory. Something beyond victory, because you could be victorious and healthy. We named healthy as another thing good for its own sake. You could be victorious and healthy and still be miserable. So what would you add to those? And Aristotle says there has to be some ultimate or else there'd be an infinite regression. And I'll tell you what that means. It's a practical problem, right? And uh, it's uh, one of the things that's shot through with our uh, way of thinking today. It's it's an innovation of the last hundred years. And that is what we think is there's different ultimate ends for different human beings. 
And that means that because these things are, are so in such an integrity in the way Aristotle presents them up and down, it would mean that if you started out and if the ultimate thing were this or this, then when you work your way down, you'd get to a different place. And that means none of this would hold true. So he's saying that just as he's already said that the arts and the goods are arranged in a hierarchy, now he introduces the fact that communities or partnerships are also arranged in a hierarchy. And then this first sentence also contains the information that if you want to know definitively what a thing is, find out what it's for. What's it aim at? That's not the whole of it, right? But uh, there are other causes of things that contribute to the definition of them. But the authoritative one is, what's it for? And he says that there's lots of communities, and they too are arranged in a hierarchy according to to their ends, the hierarchy of their ends. The ones that aim at higher goods are better, and the ones that aim at the ultimate good are best. Don't go anywhere, America. That was the uh, first of four segments today in part two of Dr. Larry Arn teaching Aristotle's ethics. And if you're just tuning in for the first time, we started this series last week. All of the Hillsdale dialogues for 10 years are collected over at hughforhillsdale.com. But through this summer, we're doing something different. We are actually taking one of their video courses, and if you download the Salem News Channel, you can watch it. You can watch it, of course, over at hillsdale.edu. We are taking one of their Hillsdale courses, the one on the ethics that Dr. Arn taught to a dozen Hillsdale seniors three years ago. They made it into a fantastic, super course, which is in 10 parts. And you can watch it. You can binge watch it all, or you can just listen to it as it rolls out over this is week two in a 10-week series. And we will keep rolling them out segment by segment over the next um, many days, many Fridays of the Hillsdale Dialogue. But come right back. There's lots more in this hour ahead as Dr. Arn continues to walk with his students in an iterative teaching and learning process, which is wonderful to listen to, marvelous to participate in. Stay tuned. The Hillsdale Dialogue rolls along. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, Studio Winterthur. We are playing the Hilldale Dialogue, last radio hour of the week, part two. We are using Larry Arn, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hilldale College, teaching the ethics by Aristotle to a dozen Hilldale students. Here is part two of today's class. Politics is authoritative in two senses. One is, in every political community, the political community has a monopoly on force. You know, it, uh, it's authoritative like that. It'll give you orders. Shoot you if you don't follow them. If you get pulled over for speeding and you refuse to, get pulled, uh, to be pulled over, if it goes far, far, far enough, the military will be after you. And they can probably get you. So it's authoritative that way. But also, as Juan just said, uh, what you're saying is then that there are some ends and other ends are ordered toward them they give those other ends their purpose, and therefore they have authority over them. They define what they are. And this community is said to be the authoritative one. Now, we don't have time to read it in book one today. Somebody sketch, if you can remember it. How does he lay out these communities? You know, Because remember how he lays out the arts, 
shipbuilding for ships and that for travel or navigation or transport and, and uh, bridal making for bridals. How do the communities, how does he lay them out? Can you list the order of them? Yeah, Ryan. He starts with the household. And the household begins with the male and female who have children, and then also the master and the slave. And the, has- the household exists for the fulfillment of daily needs. Okay, Ryan said slave, and so uh, I should make a point about that. If you read all of book one, we're not going to do it here. You'll find out that Aristotle actually says that uh, slavery is just only in the case of someone who is incapacitated and unable to direct their own lives. And there are such people, not many. And slavery is common in Athens. And it comes from conquest, mostly. When you defeat somebody, you can enslave them, which the Greeks did a lot. And uh, he doesn't say that it's got to be abolished overnight. But he says that it's wrong, except in that case. It's a very important point to make. And then he says a very pregnant thing in here that I'll just point out. He says, uh, if the shuttle could weave or the plectrum or pick could uh, strike of itself. So in other words, if you could make cloth or you could play music of themselves, that means a machine that does it automatically. Then maybe this relationship of master and slave would not be needed. In other words, Aristotle foresees a world in which technology does all that stuff. Um, So about the slavery thing, just remember, uh, it's a kind of attitude you have to adopt, which is very contrary to the prevailing attitude today. Once you adopt the attitude that you're going to find out the truth about a thing, important thing, and the truth doesn't depend on what you think, unless it's the truth about what you think. If you're going to try to find that out, and you're going to be serious about that, you're going to have to be prepared to look everywhere. And that means back in the past, too. And of course, everywhere you look, every single place you look will be in the past. Because the present is an instant, and the future is unknown. And so... If it's a barrier that Aristotle assumes that the household will have slaves to understanding Aristotle, that's just one point to take up and figure out what that does and whether he's compromised by that. And as I say, I told you what he said about it. I don't think uh, Aristotle thought that there was justice in human slavery except in rare cases. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. We're going to continue with Dr. Larry Arn and his Hillsdale students. For all things Hillsdale, go to hillsdale.edu, including this class, all 10 parts if you want to binge watch it, that you are listening to, Dr. Arn and the Ethics and 12 Hillsdale students. Or you can just go over to uh, iTunes, look for the Hillsdale Dialogue, Google Hillsdale Dialogues and iTunes, and you can listen to all the hundreds of these hours that we've done, including this brand new hour from an old class at hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Many of you are asking yourself, why didn't I have teachers like Dr. Larry Arn? Well, you didn't go to Hillsdale. If you want your son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter to go to Hillsdale, head over to hillsdale.edu. The application is online. It's pretty tough to get into Hillsdale, but everyone can take their courses. 
They're all online. And this is just one of many courses. It's Dr. Arn teaching the ethics in a seminar-style setting, and you're saying to yourself, I wish I had had that kind of class when I was in college. Well, uh, wishes aren't dollars, so you can't spend them. But you can send your kids to Hillsdale, your grandkids to Hillsdale. If you're a young person and you're listening and saying, that's what I want, you can apply to Hillsdale. You're going to need a good GPA. You're going to have to you know, prove it. A lot of people want to go there. It's just as competitive as the Ivies, just as competitive as any school in the United States. But it's well worth the effort. Head over to Hillsdale.edu, get the application, and now listen as Dr. Arn leads his students through another segment of the ethics. The relationship in the household that's primary, which means first, is what? The male and female. And uh, why are they first? I mean, in order to survive as a unit, you have to have the union between the male and female and the propagation of mankind that comes from that marriage. Or to rephrase that, in order to have the male and the female, you require to have the male and the female. (laughs) We come to be through the family and it exercises an influence on us, a powerful influence on us, right through our lives. And Aristotle's point is, everything starts with that. And that gives us a really great possibility of uh, understanding this hierarchy again because the family is primary. You start with that. Is it sufficient? No. Why is it not sufficient? On its own, it just fulfills the needs of daily life, but it doesn't uh, help one live life well. It, the household turns into the village when several households come together. What's the village for? I would say the, the village is a, a step above that, um, but it's not, yet, it's not yet the city. So... List some things that the family can't supply. I come from Arkansas, and there are jokes about it, but even there, it's not right to marry your sister. So, <laughs> so, so you, need some more fa- you need some more families around. Also, family's just a few. And for much of the life of a family, some of them are young and require defense. It's not a very defensible unit. It's in danger. Uh, you can't really have much trade in a family. And so a whole bunch of stuff spring to life. And these things, Mark, you are naturally human things. That word nature comes from the, uh, a Latin word that means birth. So the most natural relationship is the reproductive relationship, the way human beings come to be. And it's weird about, by the way, human beings coming to be because they take a long time to race compared to other animals. And yet, we have discretion over whether we do it or not. One of the elements and aspects of our freedom. And, uh, and yet, it matters very much, even to us, whether we do it or not. So, there's that, right? And the family is all wrapped up in that stuff. And everything starts with that stuff. But then, right away, a whole bunch of more stuff is needed. And one of them is exchange. And one of them is defense. And so, you get a village, And then something is added to that. And Aristotle is not necessarily saying he can trace how one develops and the next develops and the next develops. These communities are like the goods and the arts that we examined. They're arranged in a hierarchy. And so the family is very important. And then something is added that also includes the family in the village. And then finally, 
the city, what's added there? The city is the partnership of villages. Um, and so the villages can come together, and because of that, the city can actually exist itself. Um, it's self-sufficient. And what does it aim for? Living well, happiness. So the virtues, right? Uh, law is a moral phenomenon. It's all about right, right and wrong. If you just ask yourself grandly, what is the good for which the United States of America aims, there's an answer to that. You, you couldn't speak intelligently about that if you didn't mention the Declaration of Independence, which states that, right? But, you know, the same thing is true of China. What is the good for which it aims? Well, it's ruled by a Communist Party that makes very authoritative statements about that. You can read them. Here's what we're here to do. And for the good of our nation and the world, we few who are in control are going to do those things. And those are different from America. Right? Uh, Lincoln said, every nation has a central idea from which all its minor thoughts radiate. In ours, it's the principle of human equality, stated in the Declaration of Independence. So they're not all like that, though. Right? And so when the city comes together, all of a sudden there's a community that's making ultimate claims. It's very important, we learn in the course of this book, Aristotle says that uh, the law is generally more influential than your parents. Which is too bad in a way if it's true, but I think it is true. So it's a very powerful thing and it's adopted by a, a people in a community that carries the powers of life and death. And that's an old story. It's true in America as it was in Sparta. Okay, so that's book one, chapter one. So we're going to skip ahead to Chapter 2, now we're going to find out what we mean by good and what we mean by human person. So somebody read that. From these things it is evident. From these things it is evident, then, that the city belongs among the things that exist by nature and that man is by nature a political animal. He who is without a city through nature rather than chance is either a mean sort or superior to man. He is without clan, without law, without hearth, like the person reproved by Homer. For the one who is such by nature has, by this fact, a desire for war, as if he were an isolated piece in a game of backgammon. That man is much more a political animal than any kind of bee or any herd animal is clear. Okay, stop. Read that last sentence again. That man is much more a political animal than any kind of bee or any herd animal is clear. That's dramatic, isn't it? Uh, bees are swarm animals. Everything is in common. Radical division of labor among the different ranks of the bees, right? Everything serves the queen. The queen serves everything else. They do everything together. In fact, when they're flying, uh, they will, you know, you see a swarm, right? And they, if they turn, they all turn. Rarely leaving one behind, right? We are more political than that. So just remember how radical that is. It means that your political side of your nature is embedded in you at least equally as much as your kidneys or your heart. Right? That's the claim. Okay, go ahead and read. For as we assert, nature does nothing in vain, 
and man alone among the animals has speech. Nature does nothing in vain. What does that mean? Julia, what are you going to say? It's essentially that and if we have a capacity such as speech, then it has to be for some sort of good or for some sort yeah, of... Yeah, there's something ours. about it, right? And, and, uh, and man alone among the animals has speech. A unique thing. Now, the word here is logos in Greek, which means both speech and reason. Go ahead. The voice indeed indicates the painful or pleasant, and hence is present in other animals as well. For their nature has come this far that they have a perception of the painful and pleasant and indicate these things to each other. So this morning, uh, if my wife stays in bed past about 7.45, the dogs start talking to her. (laughs) And she knows what they're saying. They're saying breakfast. (laughs) That's their point. They want something. Pleasure, pain, right? They uh, whine if something hurts, right? And we all understand. Uh, my wife actually carries on a dialogue all day long with the, the dogs. And uh, in a practical sense, they understand her. But not in another sense. So go ahead. But speech serves to reveal the advantageous and the harmful, and hence also the just and the unjust. For it is peculiar to man as compared to the other animals that he alone has a perception of good and bad and just and unjust and other things of this sort. And partnership in these things is what makes a household and a city. So do you notice the occurrence in the word of the word good in that sentence? We perceive the good. And that's why we can talk. The claim is there's something we see all the time in everything we see that other animals don't see. And that is what makes us unique, and that is what makes us political. Speech, which also means, however, reason, makes us unique and political. Now, you can see why speech would make us social. We can talk to each other, right? But what are we doing when we talk that involves understanding the good well because like we're each human being is pursuing an end like we have to talk to each other about what we're going to do yeah it's uh, more basic than that more than immediate more immediate yeah julia well since speech is connected to reason we're able to like actually reason about via speech some sort of abstract good that we're or yeah, it's some sort of good that we are aiming for, either as a community or an individual. How do we... Uh, I was blessed with a really great teacher, and uh, one of the best things he understood and could explain, he knew as Aristotle, was how does it come to be that we use common nouns? How can we do that? His claim is there's a miracle in that that's parallel to the miracle of creation. So, pen, pen, Right? See, they're different. How do you know? And yet, you know. You can say to somebody in another room where neither of you can see what you're instructing the person to do, would you please go and get me a pen on my desk? And they got no idea what the thing's going to look like when they get there. But they always find it. This is light work for human beings. This is automatic. But, and nobody ever teaches us to do it. When we're about two years old, we all start talking, right? And no other being 
ever does. You know, we have four children. We didn't teach them to talk. They just started talking. You know, in, in our family, the children are raised just like the dogs for the first two years. They live on the floor, eat the food on the floor, you know, handy. Um, but then they start talking. And six months later, they live in a richly populated world. Elephants, bees, horses. They know everything. Somehow they can do that. And the dogs never do, right? They're still stupid. That's their charm, by the way. So Aristotle says, that's how we see good. Things are defined by their purpose. The good and the being, Aristotle writes, are convertible terms where you can use one in a sentence, you can use the other one. Good cup, being of the cup. Good book, being of the book, right? Good glasses, being of the glasses. The basis of all human speech is the common noun. And every time we identify one, we are identifying the good and the being of a thing. And when it says in the first sentence of this that the good is that at which all things aim, he's claiming that there's a propriety and satisfaction in each thing being fully what it is. And a bad thing is only a good thing spoiled. Mark Twain, golf, he said, a good walk spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies to the golfers. Uh, but, uh, But you see, the thing that makes you what you are and makes you more political than horses and bees is this ability to perceive and use the common noun from which all language comes. So there's an explicit statement in the ethics about this. Aristotle says, you know, if there's a way for the beings to be good, a horse or anything else, must be some way like that for a human. What do you want a horse to be like? Well, there's different kinds of good horses. Uh, Secretariat, probably the greatest racehorse. I I, I like horses. I like the fact that they, I don't know much about horses. I don't have horses, but horses love to run, and they're beautiful when they run. And so their ability to do that, that's what's awesome, right? If you you think that the word education means lead forth, watch a horse go forward, and then watch it go backwards. It's not very good at that. Well, the point is, if you can see that about a horse, you can see it about a person. And just like in the horses, just like the mare, pretty, she's a pretty white horse, is, you know, gentle and all that, and something really good about that, right? Serves one of the functions of a horse, even if you might be able to isolate the highest function, which this book is going to say there are many functions for a human being and many of worth, but that doesn't mean that there's not one that's highest, and we're going to isolate what that is. And living... In light of that ultimate one, Aristotle is going to claim, even if you can't fully participate in it, will improve and ennoble your life at whatever level you live at. Because, by the way, if you're interested in fathoming and holding the good and the true and the beautiful, once you start valuing that kind of thing, to know what beautiful things are, to appreciate and contemplate their beauty 
to develop wisdom, which is the accumulation of knowledge about ultimate things and takes time. The next thing you know is you become aware of things that really do give purpose and direction to your life. You see, and then Aristotle is going to say, before we're done, that if you practice up through these immediate and sometimes small virtues every day in a way to build your character, finally, you will get yourself to a place where you can hold your soul in attention and you see truly the things that are happening outside you and you are not in the way anymore. Your wishes and your want are not the thing now. Now you are looking at things as they are and seeing the truth and the beauty and the good in them, which means also seeing when it's there the ugliness and the flaw in them and the falseness in them. You see? And to see the world as it is, you actually have to cultivate these moral virtues that are the next thing in order to get yourself into a state of patience and attention where you can put your energy into doing each thing before you. Not just the really great moment where you get to read something or see something that's beautiful and live in harmony with it for a time, but also the regular moments. And the point is, that takes practice. Long time. You have to really commit to it. But it's great to do. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.